So, of course, tonight I want to share about Jesus and a little bit of what I believed, what I believed took place before the world was created. Um, before the beginning. See even music in the background. So I want you to think that although the actual happening took place 2,000 years ago, or thereabouts, in actual fact, in the heart and mind of God, it took place millennia before. The moment that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit talked about it, that moment, it was as though it already happened. That moment right there. In that moment, it was already a dumb thing. Do you understand me? So even them talking and communicating about it, even them thinking about it, in that moment, for them, it was already done. Because God is faithful. It was only a way in a time to be manifested upon the earth. And many times in, in the Bible it says, at just the right time. God does everything at just the right time. Maybe not your time, but at just the right time, that's when he does it. And of course, this is what it means when it says that, that things were foreordained before the foundation. When it says that Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the earth, it, it means that before anything appeared here, in God it was already a done thing. Of course, God knew that man would choose his, her own way. So it wasn't a surprise for God. So the garden was not a surprise for God. Adam and Eve was not a surprise for God. Anything that took place in there was not a surprise because God knew already that his kids would at some point want to make their own mind up. He knew it. And he knew that we'd be selfish. He knew that we'd actually want to do things our own way, take our own destiny into our hands. That's what he knew. He knew all of that before anything was ever created. He knew it all. Jesus was not like a, a secondary option. You understand me? It wasn't a second plan. Jesus was always the plan. He was always the plan. So I suppose you could, I, as I was thinking it, it's like, like our own, own kids and like we've been. We'd make our own choices, we'd do our own thing. But the Father would supply to us everything, everything that we'd possibly need in order to make the right decisions and the right choices. He'd always do that, he'd supply everything that we always need. But he would never make any decision for us. 
And he still makes no decision for you. Please understand me, he doesn't make any decision for you. You make your own decisions given the fact that the Holy Spirit is within you, the fact that you have a word which affirms what you already know. This book just affirms what you already know. In your spirit, you already know it. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. When I tell you that God chose you before the beginning of the foundation of the world, you already know it. I'm not telling you, was teaching you. You already have it inside yourself. You already know the truth of it. All you've got to do is dig deep down and find the truth. It's there. This book just affirms the truth. That's all it does. People use it like a rule book. This book is just affirming truth to you. That's what it does. You have the truth inside you. It's called the Holy Ghost. You have the anointing of God on the inside of you already. Beautiful. God makes no choices for you. You make all your own. But there was something that happened before anything else. And it's like the Father, knowing, bearing in mind that he knew what we might do given the opportunity. Maybe, maybe there was a conversation that went on with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. And I, I don't know if we can understand it, but they enjoyed being together. They enjoy being together. They are together. Just them being together is enjoyment enough. You understand me? Because they are life. They are love. They are joy. They are everything. All these words that we have, they are it. That's what they are. So when they get together, they have a wonderful time and they're together all the time. So they're having a beautiful time. So what they wanted to do was have a beautiful time with you. That's what they wanted all the time. They wanted offspring. They wanted you. Isn't it beautiful? They wanted you. They thought, long before anything was ever created, they thought, we want kids. We want offspring. And then they thought, oh, but if we have offspring, if we make them in the image of God, and, and the image of God is both male and female. Do you understand me? The image of God is both male and female. He is male and female. He's everything. So God made us in his image. But he also gave us the ability to choose. And knowing that we had that ability, he knew that we would choose and probably choose something that was not in his own heart. And anything that's not in his own heart and not flowing out of his own life, anything, is what the Bible calls sin. You understand me? That's, that's the word that we use. We use this word sin. Anything that does not flow out of the heart of God, out of his life, from his love, from his joy, from his goodness, anything that does not flow from that is sin. And God knew, given the opportunity that we had to choose, that sin would happen. And he looked at the, the Holy Spirit and looked at Jesus and he went, what shall we do? But knowing straight away that the answer was already given, Jesus stepped forward and went, Father, don't think about it another moment. Here I am. I will go and take all the sin of the whole world. 
I'll take it all, everything. I won't leave not one ounce of it again. Not one little bit of it. I'm not going to leave any of it again. I'm going to take it all so that there's nothing that separates us from our kids. You understand me? They had this conversation long before the world was ever created. You see, because it says that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what he says. Before the foundation of the world. So in God's mind, so Jesus stepped forward and he said, Father, don't, don't even think about it. Of course, in the moment that the Father thought about it, the answer came in the Word. And the Word said, don't worry, I'm going. Dad, I'll give myself. I'll give myself William. The Father didn't make Jesus give himself. Jesus gave himself willingly. No one took Jesus' life from him. He gave his life willingly. And the Holy Spirit said, Jesus, when you come to do that which you need to do on the earth, I will come and I will supply all that you need as a man on the earth to do what you need to do. I'm going to be there the whole time. I'm going to be with you. It's, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? It says in Revelation 13, verse 8, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And this is what he says in Ephesians 1, verse 7 to 10. It's beautiful. And I've, I don't know which translation I got this from, but it's beautiful. It says, so overflowing in his kindness toward us, so overflowing in his kindness towards us that he took away all our sins, all our sin, everything that was wrong, he took it all away through the blood of his son. Why the blood? Because the Bible says that the life is in the blood. What does this symbol? It symbolizes the life of Jesus. We're not cannibals. Do you understand me? It symbolizes the life of Jesus. Jesus gave his life for us. So his blood symbolizes his life. And it says there, so overflowing in his kindness towards us, he took away all our sins through, through the blood of his Son, by whom we are saved. And he has showered down upon us the richness of his grace, for how well he understands us and knows what is best for us at all times. Beautiful. God has told us his secret reason for sending Christ, a plan he decided on in mercy long ago. A plan he decided long ago, before we were ever here, he decided it. Because he loves you so much. That's the point. Do you get it? He loves you so much. He decided this way, way, way long ago. Because he loves you. And this was his purpose. So that was his purpose. But this was his purpose. That when the time is ripe, he will gather us all together from wherever we are, in heaven or on earth, to be with him in Christ forever. And I always think it's difficult for those, it's beautiful to have Mary with us today, but it's, it's difficult for those who have lost people. But they're not lost forever. They're with us. There's a whole cloud of them right now. Right now, tonight. A whole cloud, a presence of witnesses that is with us. It's beautiful. And we're all going to be gathered together again. Huh? It's beautiful. That's what he's going to do. Now, along with this conversation, he had another conversation before the foundation of the world. And that is found in Ephesians 1, 4, 6. 
And the reason that I tarry on this so much is because, because someone gave me a prophetic word and said, you know, Paul, when you preach, you're going to preach about this and it's going to hem everything in for you because this is really where it all started, right here in these verses. Ephesians 1, 4 6. I'm not going to read that. You, you can see it behind me, hopefully, unless you've just got my words written down. Ah, there we go. Well done, Matt. So they're talking together, and I'm just paraphrasing what the conversation may have gone like. But it is found, the conversation is found in this chapter. It says that you were chosen in him. You were not chosen out of him. You're chosen in him. You understand me? You were chosen in him, not outside him. It's impossible for you to be outside him. It's impossible for anyone to be outside him. Everyone was chosen in him because nothing is outside of him. You are in him. Everyone. Whether they understand it, like it, don't like it, it really don't matter because you were chosen in him. You were chosen in him like the most beautiful flower out of the most beautiful field of flowers. Can you imagine just a sea of flowers everywhere? And it's like Jesus took out this one flower. I won't take it out because I'll spoil it. And when Steve, oh, it's Steve. I can see Steve. Sorry, I am going to take it out. Oh, look. And it's Steve and his, his family all with him. <laughs> but he said, look, Steve. I've chosen him. He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. And I'm not just going to choose him. I'm going to set him apart. Set him apart. He's all mine. But he didn't just do that with one flower. He did it with all flowers. He did it with all of them. It's like he looked at everything that he could see in his mind's eye. He looked at it all. Because we are part of who he is. You are an expression of who he is. Isn't it beautiful? Sorry. <laughs> 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 but it's like he looked at all those flowers and went I love every single one of them and I'm setting apart every single one of them because even though I've chosen I can't really choose because they're all so beautiful and that's what, that's what God's like isn't it? it's just amazing and this is what he says so when were you chosen? Before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. You, you were chosen in him. Before the foundation of the world. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It says to be set apart, just like I did then. Set apart. Without blame. What does that mean? It means that God actually wanted you to feel no blame. To be blameless. To not have the feeling of blame. What, God? really wanted you not to have the feeling of blame. Yes, that's what it says. Before the foundation of the world, the Father set you apart and went, I do not want you to feel blame or guilt for anything. I want you to live life. I want you to enjoy life. But I know that things will come along and they'll try and pile on you. They'll try and oppress you and stop you and hinder you. But don't worry. He's done it. 
He's done it. It's all finished. Huh? No, don't, don't you understand it? It's all done. There is no sin. There's none. It's gone. It's an illusion. It's actually an illusion. The devil keeps telling you there's sin everywhere. No, he's taking it all. It's gone. It's gone. Jesus took it all. Well, I mean, you, you look at the bus, the, 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 the dustbin man, he comes and texts, texts, texts. You don't run out in the middle of the road and go, hey, stop, I want my rubbish back. Give me my rubbish back. Jesus took all the sin of the world. It's all gone. It's all gone. It's illusion. The devil uses it as a lie. You were free. And God wants you to free, feel free. He wants you to feel blameless. Without guilt. Huh? Just wear that a little while. Wear it like new clothes. Put new clothes on. He wants you to wear that feeling. You don't you want to wear that feeling? Come on, the Father before the foundation of the world went, I want Nathan Claire to be free. I don't want him to feel any guilt, any shame, any blame. I don't want it. Isn't it beautiful? That's what the Father wants. What do you want? You can choose. Huh? Choose what you want. Choose life. Where did all this happen? It happened before him in love so the father did all this in love he's in love everything's in love he's in love with you he loves you look at someone and say he loves you he loves you he loves you oh yeah say it like he loves you he loves you Nick. he loves you man. just loves you he loves you. Isn't it beautiful? It's all written there. That's what we read. It's so boring when you read it though, isn't it? You just got to put some life in it and go, what does this really mean? What did God really think at the beginning? This is what he thought. And it says, having predestined us. What, all of us? Yeah, all of us. There's this big talk about predestination. There's no talk about it. God predestined everyone in his love to be with him to be blameless, to be guilt-free, to be rid of everything. God predestined everyone. Can we just say it? We need, to, we need to declare it everywhere to every theological person in the whole world they need to know. Everyone's predestined because God loves everybody. He looked at the flowers and went, I love you all. Huh? That's what it's all about. If it's not about that, then he hasn't done enough, has he? Listen to me. If it's not about that, then he hasn't done enough. There's still some things to do. What's to do? Can anyone tell me what's to do? What's still to do? What's still to do? Nothing's still to do. It's all been done. It's beautiful, isn't it? Predestined, that is what you are, to adoption as sons. Beautiful. When he looked at Jesus, he's going, what are they going to be? What are they going to be? What are they going to be? Oh, I know. They're going to be just like you, Jesus. They're going to feel like you. They're going to walk like you. They're going to talk like you. They're not going to look like you, but they're going to walk and talk and feel like you, son. And they're going to inherit everything. And Jesus went, I'm with you, dad. Huh? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. The father went, son, 
do you want to share everything? And Jesus went, of course I want to share everything. I want to share everything with all of them. I want them to feel good. I want them to have a good life. I want them to be blessed. And if that shouldn't happen on the earth, well, it will definitely happen at some point. Because he's done it all. It's all finished. Good news. It's not good news, man. This is unbelievably good news. But we can believe it because he's given us the ability to believe. They're beautiful. You can believe. You can say to yourself, I can believe. No, you can, honestly. Just relax. Just, I believe. Say it. I believe. Oh, Jesus, I believe it. Lord, I believe it. It's flowing over me like waves. I believe it, Jesus. I'm going to bathe in it. I'm going to sit in it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to thank you for all that you've done, Jesus. I am going to enjoy every minute of what you have done, Jesus, because you did it all for me. Come on, some of you just need to relax. You just need to do it, man. Huh? This is not some theological school. This is like the theological school. It's like God's here. He's around. Come on. You just got to go, yes, Lord. I want all that. I want to relax in it. I want to soak in it. I want to bathe in it. Girls, you want to get your chocolates out, throw it in your bath and sit in it and just go, yeah, this is what it's like. Huh? Boys, you can do it as well if you want. No, but really, we, we need to... We, we just don't enjoy it, do we? We don't. Everything that is natural is a picture of something spiritual. So think about that next time you put chocolate in bath. Huh? Just, oh yes, Jesus, just let it roll over me. <laughs> oh, candles or whatever it is you do. I don't know what it is you do. Anyway, there we go. And it says that he wants you for himself. For himself. He wants you. He wants to make you glorious. No, honestly, I mean really glorious. He wants you to look as good as he looks. In fact, I often say to him, Jesus, you make me look fabulous. He goes, that's what I'm in the business of doing. I like to restore and raise you up glorious, son. That is what Jesus does, isn't it? He's the master at doing those things. Beautiful. And then it says, listen to this, it says, according to his good pleasure. Oh, it's so boring, isn't it? That is so boring. According to his good pleasure. Do you, but, but do you understand? Can you imagine the pleasure of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost together when they are thinking about everything that they are going to do? Can you imagine what it's like? The pleasure of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Ghost together. Like, like an earthquake, man. Like an earthquake. Pleasure, this was pleasure. This was like the best ever. You understand me? He's thinking about this. And like inside, he's just, oh, overwhelmed with his love for us. He is jumping about at this. And not just at this, but the whole fact of Jesus on the cross for you. They are going, this is all according to my pleasure. That's what God's saying. It's all according to what I want to do for you. He's jumping for joy because of the thoughts that he's having about you and about Jesus and all that's going to happen. That's what that means. It's just beautiful, isn't it? And then it says you're accepted. You're accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. Isn't it beautiful, that? Hey, look, you might not be accepted by everybody. Not everybody might like you. But hey, who cares? 
The Father accepts you. Jesus accepts you. The Holy Ghost accepts you. I mean, who cares about the rest? Huh? Who cares? You're accepted. You have to receive it. No, 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 honestly. I, 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 I got it. She gets it. But you've, you've all got to go, yes, yes, Lord, I accept this. Come on, think of something nice that you're eating. Think of something nice that you're drinking. No, no, but some of you need to do it. You have to see it. You have to experience it. This is not some theological, logical thinking. This is like, no, I need to drink it. I need to eat it. I need to experience it. I need to bathe in it. I need to do something so that this thing comes alive for me because this is not church as usual. You have been raised up glorious and all creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, for you to be revealed. Can you imagine that? The whole creation, these flowers come alive. I have been on the canal and I'll tell you, these flowers dance when I go on the canal. No, I mean it. I, I honestly, I, I believe that we have seen volcanoes go off because of the Word of God. Really? But you've got to believe it's about you. It's about you. My Lord. The only thing that you need to do is receive it right now. That's what you need to do. Receive it as though it's yours. Oh, yes, Lord. I want to receive it. Like every word of it's mine. And you go, well, I can't, I can't. I haven't got enough faith. Listen, he's given you all the faith that you need. It's already inside you. You can, you can, you can. You can, you can, you can. Amen. Just say it to someone, I can, I can, I can. I sounded Irish then. I can, I can, I can. But you can. You can receive it. Look, you see, that's it. That's it. Hilario's got it. That right there. That's it. That's beautiful, brother. You got it there. He's, he's in it. He's there. He's bathing. That's nice. No, you've got to bathe, though. You want it, you've got to find it. You've got to search it out. It doesn't just come. You've got to search it out in faith and get a hold of it and just bathe in it and go, yes, Jesus, this is mine. So, when he thought about these things, it filled him with pleasure and joy. From the moment that he was born, he began to die. From the moment that he was born, he began to die. Dying to give his life away so that you might live. All the time you see him, he's giving his life away so that you might live. That's what he does. He just gives it away. But you see, because it's alive, it can't die. So it just reproduces all the time. You understand that? When you've got life and you give it away, it can't die. Nothing in God can die. It just continues to live. So anything that you sow comes back to you. Everything's alive. You understand me? It's, he can't die because it's alive in him already. You understand me? It's only you that feels like you're dying as you give. It's only you that feels like that, but the life that you're giving is living. And it comes back again and again and again and again and again. So everything that you sow, everything that you give, everything that you're giving away, it's going to come back. All of it's going to come back. And it'd be awful. It's impossible for it to die because life cannot die there is no death in life you understand me it's impossible for life to die that's why Jesus could not die even though he died he gave up his life he gave it all up and it hurt to give up his life but the life that he gave was full of life and it came back again beautiful 
profound, isn't it? It's profound, honestly, it is profound. You just gotta get it. The more he gave away, the more his life reproduced again and again. The more he became nothing, the more he became something. That's what Philippians 2 says. It's just beautiful. He was rich, but he became poor so that you might become rich. And that his riches might overflow everywhere. Do you understand me? He gave it away, you received it, now it's giving out again. Everywhere, his life is going out again and again and again. He cannot die. Huh? Everyone's becoming rich in his life. It's beautiful. And he still lives and increases. Isn't it beautiful when you think about it? Isn't it beautiful? He's just increasing all the time. His life is increasing and increasing all the time. Through all of us, through all the generations before, through all the generations after, it's just going to increase and increase and increase. It cannot stop increasing because it's life. He is the author of life. It's beautiful. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. His whole life, he was giving away his whole life. His whole life, he was giving away his whole life. What are you doing? Are you like him? Come on. Are you like him? You look like him to me. You're looking more and more like him. Are you giving away your, your whole life, your whole life? Come on, because that's Jesus inside you. That's what he does. He lives to give away his life. And the more that he gives it away, the more life he gets. And it reproduces and reproduces all the time. And the flesh goes, no, no, the natural person goes, no, no, I can't do anymore. And God goes, oh, son, you've only just started. Beautiful. This is what happened when he got to Gethsemane, of course. Gethsemane was the place of squeezing. So he walked all his life, giving away all his life. And yet when he got to Gethsemane, it was like he was squeezed. It's called the place of, the place of pressing. That's what Gethsemane means. The place that he was pressed. And he was pressed and pressed. Like, like olives, like olives. On a grounding, uh, I don't know what you call these big, a what? A grounding stone, yeah, that's a good name. Excellent, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Yes, on one of those stones that goes round and round and ground and ground and ground until the oil, the pure oil began to flow. Well, that's what it was like for Jesus. Jesus was pressed again and again and again until his blood like oil began to flow. That's how much he was pressed. And you know, it's an amazing thought that we drink. I mean, we have the best wine in the world, the wine of his love. It's the best wine. It's intoxicating. That's why you don't need to get drunk anymore. You don't need to get drunk to have a good time. Because this wine is the most intoxicating wine in the world. It's the most beautiful. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost? They said to them, these men are not drunk as you may suppose. He was saying they're not drunk because of alcohol. They're drunk because of the wine. 
He didn't say they weren't drunk. He said they were not drunk as you suppose. They were drunk. But they were drunk on the intoxicating wine of life. That's why you don't need to get... That's why we can go to the, the marriages, we can go to the celebrations and we can have the best time ever. We can dance and we can have fun and we can have the best time ever. And yes, you can drink if you want, but listen, you don't need a drink to have a good time. Because this is the best. This presence is something else. It's beautiful. I can just stand in this presence the whole night, honestly. I could just preach like this all night, mate. It's beautiful. And I know I get it all because I'm, I'm studying. It's beautiful. But listen, this is what he once said to me. He said, he said son, we have the best wine in the world. The best wine ever. But there's very few people that's ever been into the cellar. There's very few people that's ever been into the cellar to see where the grapes get crushed. I won't tell you what he said after that, but that's what he said. He said it to me. He said, we drink of the best wine ever, the most lavish, rich wine of love. But there are very few people that have ever been to the cellar to see where it was produced because he was crushed for us. Can we just show that film, Matt? I'm nearly finished, but I want to show this film and carry on.
installment. <clears throat> it's interesting that all the, all the blood that G Jesus spilled as we I referred to it a little bit earlier that do you remember there's a story about Cain and Abel and it says that Cain murdered his brother Abel and the blood of Abel cried out from the ground and what it cried out was vengeance it was reminding God that life had been taken without right do you understand me every life that's ever gone and God didn't take it, it cries out. But the thing, the thing about this is that Jesus' blood, when it hit the ground, it says that the blood of Jesus cries out a better word than the blood of Abel. So when Jesus' blood fell to the ground, and when he sweat blood, when it hit the earth, can you imagine that the life is in the blood? So basically, you were saying that the life of God, this is what we're saying, the life of God ran down onto the ground and it was like a thermal nuclear blast that hit the ground and just thundered through the whole of the world's sphere. And God said it cries out a better word. A greater word than the blood of Abel. All the, all the blood that had gone before was crying out for revenge, for vengeance. But Jesus' blood was crying out for something different. Grace. 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 You see, we, we haven't really understood what Jesus has done. His blood, it was like shattered everything that had gone before and it was just crying out grace over the whole surface of the earth. That's what that verse means. I think I, think I put it up there. Where is it? It says there, To Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the, the blood of Abel. It's powerful, isn't it? Powerful. And when, G, when, when the Father, if you can imagine this, so... So what is life like? What is the life of God really like? We know that sometimes our life is selfish. We, we take for ourselves. We, we want something, we take it. We possess something. There's, the human nature seems to want things. The life of God, though, is not like that. How could God tell the earth what the life of God was really like? How could he illustrate? You see, in heaven, they didn't need a cross. They don't need a, a cross in heaven because heaven is filled with the glory of God. Heaven is filled with his presence all the time. That's why Jesus said, let your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done on the earth. They don't need the cross in heaven. Why did they need a cross? Because the cross tells us the nature of God continually all the time. Jesus gives himself. This is the way that he is. 
His whole nature is like this. Of course, it happened once for all time. But God was going, look, don't you understand? This is how I am all the time. I'm like this every second of every moment that ever was. This is my whole nature. I give myself in love all the time for everyone. That's why we needed the cross on the earth. So when he thrust that cross into the ground and put Jesus on it, it was a once for all time, but a once time that had never be forgotten. And again, was thrust into the earth's core. What, what an incredible message. The self-existent one, giving of himself continually so that his creation can live in this same life all the time. And he says this, we, we, don't, we didn't see it on the film, but it says in Hebrews 13, verse 12 and 13, it says, And Jesus also suffered outside the city, outside the city gate, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace of the reproach that he bore. For we do not have an enduring city here, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Listen, what does this mean? This means that Jesus, so Jesus, the answer to every dilemma ever, the solution to everything. First of all, he came to his own people, the Jewish people. That's the place that he was born into. He came to his own family, to his own tribe, to his own people first. And he's saying, look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm who God is. I'm the one who God is. You don't have to follow the rule book anymore. You just have to look at me. Because this is how I am. This is how I am is. So he came along doing that and he said, you know what? I've come with better promises. I've come with unconditional love. I've come with unconditional grace. I have got the answer to your every dilemma. And his own people went, we're not interested. We don't want it. We don't want it. That is why he suffered outside. They didn't even want him in the city. They didn't want him walking through the city. So he suffered outside the city. Now listen. You might go, and, and, and the writer to the Hebrews goes, we also are going to bear some of that reproach. Reproach is this feeling, and I'm saying it for some of you in here, because you are going to feel it more, and I'm saying it for people that are not here as well. But reproach is that feeling of guilt. It's a feeling of guilt, even though you've not done anything wrong, but you're accused of doing something wrong, and you feel the guilt and the shame of it because that's what reproach is. Jesus felt like, can you imagine, Jesus had not done anything wrong. And yet he felt reproached by everybody. So he was, he was feeling as though, I've come for you and you don't want me. And they, they took him outside the city, they didn't want him in the city. And sometimes the, the cost of what you has, what you have inside yourself, means that people misunderstand you. And they push you outside of their sphere. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they misunderstand 
who you represent. They don't understand this life that you carry and therefore they reproach you. And when they reproach you, you get pressed outside the sphere that you actually want to work into. That's why I'm with Jesus. Many of you, if you haven't felt it, are going to feel it. Because Jesus was the great apostle and we're an apostolic people. And that means that sometimes we are going to feel that reproach. And reproach is a horrible thing to feel. I'm not talking about if you've done something wrong and you know you've done something wrong. Well, you feel bad about that, don't you? And you have to get to God about it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you've not done anything wrong, but you feel and are made to feel that you have done something wrong. That's reproach. And that often comes from the very close people around you, the people that you're working with. So remember that. You're bearing something that Jesus bore as well. But we can bring it to Jesus. <clears throat> the other side of reproach is glory. The more reproach, the more glory. And since Jesus, is, the Father, is making us glorious, that's what he's doing. He's making us glorious, more and more glorious. Well, reproach just makes me more glorious. Beautiful, isn't it? Not all the time, though. So when you wonder, why am I going through this suffering... Remember what I just said, because you need to know it. Okay, let's just go this. You know, and I realise I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time tonight, but to be honest, it, it really shouldn't matter, because we're in a rush to do everything, aren't we? But sometimes we just have to sit and reflect, just allow it to wash over us. And go, Jesus, I need to be thinking about what you've done for me because it is immense. So I don't know if you can go to this mat. I've just, I've just knocked off a little bit. but They didn't want to see him. They didn't want to hear him. And they didn't want to look upon him. Have you got these verses? Just read them, Matthew 27, verse 22. Yeah. And downwards... They all said to him, Pilate, let him be crucified. But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And then he was led outside of the city gate to a lonely, isolated place. The interesting thing about this is, as he was led there, yes, there, was, there was one person that intervened. And he, it's just one verse. And it says that the father of two sons, Alexander and Rufus, just happened to be in Jerusalem that day. And the father took the cross. The father of those two sons took the cross for a little while so Jesus could regain his strength. Who was that father? Who was it? It was the father, wasn't it? The father came and make an appearance. I'm sure, I'm sure it was. The father came to take the cross for Jesus. But he was forsaken, rejected, 
cast out, despised, forgotten, uninvited, and left for dead. And finally died with all those burdens and all that weight nailed to him. Can you just play Isaiah 53? And remember, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. But the queen is grief. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment of our peace was on him, and by his stripes We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.